Hello and thank you for joining us here at Quarto Kids Cast. I'm your host, Mel Shewitt, and today I'm joined by guest Christine Van Zandt. Christine is the author of A Brief History of Underpants, which explores the evolution of fashion's most unmentionable garment. If there's one thing most people have in common, it's that we all wear some sort of underwear. But do you know the history of the underwear that you wear? Christine Van Zandt does, and she uses a lot of humor to talk about it in A Brief History of Underpants. Hello, I'm Christine Van Zandt, the author of A Brief History of Underpants. Hi, Christine. We are so excited to talk to you today. I have heard some funny rumors that you have a really good story about how you got the idea for this book. Can you share that with us? Sure. I've been volunteering at the elementary schools for years now, and one of my jobs there as the quote-unquote book person was working the annual book fair that comes through. It's, it's a week long at you know most elementary schools. And while I was helping kids, I worked the floor, find different books. I noticed kids just love funny books. I, I know that, but it just seemed so obvious that one kid after another veered over to funny, funny, funny. And that's what we sold out of first. And so I had been working on different nonfiction ideas. So my, my daughter, who was in third grade, then I made her brainstorm with me. My family, <laughs> my family's usually forced into different brainstorming sessions with me. Especially now, family for <laughs> yeah, I know. Especially now with the pandemic, when everyone's home, it's like here, yeah. mom's working. Here, help me. <laughs> so I asked her, I mean, what would engage kids? You know, my daughter I, the, in third grade, you know, since she's a kid, tell me you're the perfect age for picture books. And she said underwear, and I laughed about it at first because I'm like, yes, underwear is great. I mean, what's what's as funny as underwear? But then I thought, <laughs> you know, she's right. <laughs> I'd already started a book about poo that I'd been working on. It's like, well, if I'm going to go with poo, I might as well go with underwear too. You Lean know? in. <laughs> yeah. So I, I pulled my process for any books, even fiction books is just seeing what's out there. So I went to see what books they had at the library and, and read everything I, I could find about it. And in regard to children's picture books that were funny about underwear, there were only a few. They were really good, but they were very long. And it seems that, you know, the trend is shorter and shorter and shorter, especially when trying to engage reluctant readers. The closest comp was about 2,700 words, which nowadays when you're writing, you know, nonfiction tends to go a little longer, but, you know, you're trying to stay at a thousand words. It's, it was it was quite long and yeah. it included facts about all kinds of things. There was so much about corsets and bras. And I didn't think that kids, you know, really cared that much about that, that they'd rather hear funny things about underwear that affected them. So that's where I started with this idea. I just started writing about underwear that kids would wear <laughs> back to the beginning of time, which was crazy. You know, I, I hadn't done that kind of research before. So let's see when underwear was first discovered. It was a lot of research. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about your research process in general. Well, it was, it started out easy enough, you know, like in any term, in any, in any nonfiction book that you're pulling reference materials. I love the library. The, li the library here in Los Angeles is wonderful. There's, they're so huge. And I like going to the central library, which has everything you can ask for. So I got what I could, you know, wrote, wrote my basic picture book <laughs> and workshopped it with my group. So mainly library reference books, but there weren't, you know, other than reading the handful of children's books that were similar, there really weren't any other children's books. So I was pulling underwear books, which there weren't 
really any underwear books either. So I was pulling fashion history, textiles, you know, inventions. I was trying to go around things looking for the little nugget of underwear facts and, you know, a textiles book that went back to, you know, medieval England or, you know, anywhere around the world. And then just doing the whole world history was harder, you know, trying to find books from all the different continents because I was trying to get a fact from every continent. And I thought Antarctica would be the one I'd have to just, you know, I mean, what happens on Antarctica? I mean, really, I figured that one would be yeah. just, I wouldn't be able to get all seven continents. But that was one of the funniest ones. And I couldn't believe it. Do, do you want, want me to share tell it? You? Yeah, yeah sure. do you want me to tell you? <laughs> do you want me not to tell you? And that's one of the modern ones. An American endurance athlete named Colin O'Brady was um, the first person to cross Antarctica on foot, you know, without the help of other things. Like some people had kites and different teams, but he just did it alone and he had to carry everything. And it was an incredible amount of weight that he had to carry food and all that. But he only packed one pair of underpants. And part of the way into, into his trek across this frozen you know, land, he was just so hungry. He had these Colin bars made for him and he could eat a certain number a day, but he, you know, had like a snack attack one night, ate too many and was sick the next day, but he was already suited up and, and going. And so he got the runs and his only pair of underwear. No, <laughs> I know this is the one the kids love the best. So I, sure. this book, so I know I was like, <laughs> it's like poopsicle. Yes, it was a poopsicle. You know, he had to like chip it out of there, but he had to wear that pair for 38 days. I mean, he made history and all that, you know, this is kind of like a fact that's been pushed aside. He, he still talks about it, which is, you know, hilarious, but yeah, crazy, you know, and kids can relate to it. I think so much. I mean, it's not so much here in LA probably, but other kids where you actually have to get dressed up in yeah. clothes <laughs> and layers of snowsuits. And, you know, as soon as you're dressed up, it's like, mom, I have to go to the bathroom. I am not undressing mm-hmm. <laughs> 40 layers there. Or That's yeah, you're out funny. playing. I know. Or you're out playing and suddenly you have to go. I mean, even, you know, without the snow clothes on and when your kids are little, you know, they're playing and they suddenly have to go. Just all the clothes seem like it's, it's so hard to take them off. I remember reading in one of your many interviews that you've done so far <laughs> that the book actually started, was it smaller and it got bigger and then it had to get smaller again? Like, I feel like the size <laughs> of the book changed drastically over the course of putting it together. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, it was a 32 page picture book, which is, you know, the, the typical page number and the book increased to 48 pages, which is a huge jump. You know, it is really quite a bit more. And that change took place as the pandemic locked down everything. So the libraries were closed, closed, closed. Yeah. I mean, now our libraries are closed except for, you know, appointments. You can at least get things in the queue and pick it up. But I could not go because some of the books that I was looking at were at the central library and it was wonderful. But, you know, you can't go to something that's closed. The bookstores were closed. Yeah, I ended up buying so many things. I had a long reference sheet already and I wanted to go back and dig further in some of those things and just expand because I was really looking for as much as I could find, you know, to really bring the book out. And you know, some of the information is, is very similar. So, I mean, I didn't want to keep saying that the same thing over and over. There's the two halves to that. I mean, I think it's wonderful that you can see people back to the beginning of time have had similar needs and have covered themselves up in similar manners. I think that's very important for kids to see, but you don't want to read that, you know, for 48 pages. And I was looking for funny things, things that could intrigue kids, true, but funny. Yeah. So I just started buying, buying books. I have, <laughs> I have a lot of books now in underwear. I was going <laughs> to say, you must books. have the most interesting yes. library in your neighborhood. <laughs> yes. And you know, some of them, you'd just go through a book and find one line. It was crazy. Just go through them like underwear. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. I know. 
can you talk a little bit about seeing the illustrations for the first time and sort of how you helped inform the illustrators? Because I mean, they're based in nonfiction. So how you sort of helped inform illustrations? I was thrilled when they told me Harry Briggs had been chosen for this project. His stuff, I, I have seen some of his books and his stuff is just wonderful. I love it. He's got such a whimsical comic graphic art style. I think it's, I think it's funny and I think it's perfect. It looks a little bit like Wimpy Kid, I think, but Definitely. Not, it's, just, it's his own style. So when I started preparing the information for him, I was including links to different websites with, you know, here's a picture of that. Because, I mean, he can do so much, but I was trying to show him just this is what it really looked like. Like, for example, we have um, one of the earliest known pairs of underwear is 5,300-year-old sheepskin. It's a loincloth that they found on this guy that they named Utsi the Iceman in the Alps. You know, they found it when someone was out just, you know, trekking around. And, you know, it was just kind of the shredded thing. I mean, it doesn't even look like much of anything, but I was like connecting them to pictures of that, you know, like, look at this, this is what, you know, they have it. And they've done like a reconstruction of what they think he looked like. They know the material and, you know, they kind of show his boots are halfway worn off. So there were a lot of, on, a lot of links like that, which is so great to do nowadays. I can't imagine doing this 20, 30 years ago when you couldn't just say here, click on this and you can see the picture so much easier. So I and did see, that. I wonder like what the process for Googling something like that would be. I just imagine oh my you get some strange stuff when you Google underpants. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to think about how to promote stuff and it's like, yes, <laughs> you know, hashtag underwear. I don't know. I've been, I've been reluctant. Sure. And, there, and there've been so many different styles. I mean, even though, you know, you say loincloth and different things. Yeah. Just, you know, this is what it looks like. And it's just so, so cool. Yeah. I know my daughter, I ask her a question and she just Googles it. It's like, wow. Yeah. What was the world like when I was growing up? I can't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> Join Quarto Steam Club, an online Steam community for kids, parents, educators, and Steam lovers. Sign up for our bi monthly Quarto Steam Club e newsletter to receive book and toy recommendations chosen by a panel of Steam experts, free Steam activity downloads, access to a dedicated private Facebook group for members to share tips and tricks, and more. Visit quartonose.com forward slash r forward slash steam club. That's quartonose, Q-U-A-R-T-O-K-N-O-W-S dot com forward slash r forward slash steam club. Um, you are not just an author when it comes to the children's book world. You do all, you wear a lot of hats. You do a lot of things. Can you tell <laughs> us a little bit about all of the billions of things that you do? The billions of things I do. It feels like a billion. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm a mom, which takes a lot of time in, a <laughs> in itself. But of yeah, I, I switched to working at home and opened um, my own freelance editing company back when I decided I was staying home to help, you know, better to be a mom, be an at-home mom and see how that went instead of going outside and, and working. So I've got an editing company called Write for Success and I do mainly literary, literary editing and I have some, some people that work with me. I have a lot of beta readers and that's great when I'm writing because we have a lot of child and, you know, parents with young children, beta readers. So there's nothing as great as a kid telling you what? I don't like that. Or I don't get that. You know, it's, it's, adults can look at things a hundred times. So I kind of cross over everything else I do is related. I think it all has writing in it. It's like when I'm not writing, I'm writing. 
you know, so I work with people who are trying to get their books published. You know, a lot of people self-publish books nowadays and others are on this journey trying to find a publisher or an agent. So I help them with developmental editing and you know, querying and writing proposals for non nonfiction projects, that type of thing. That must just give you quite the perspective on the whole industry. That's That's got to be very fun. Yes. And it's just, yeah, going through different journeys with people. A lot of people give up. They really do. It's, you know, it's unfortunate. I've had some of the best books I've worked on and people just, you know, they don't have the time for it. They don't have the energy. They just, oh, it's, that's it's heartbreaking. it is. That's hard so, to hear. So people who stick with it, I mean, it's amazing. You know, they may not have the best book out there, but they just keep going and going and going, you know, that they end up doing better. I think than people that have the excellent books, but just don't have the endurance. The perseverance. Cause it's hard. It's, <laughs> Hard yes. to be told. It's hard to be rejected that many times. It is hard. I know. It's like you get it. You just kind of look at it and go, okay, one more, log it, move along. You can't take a deep breath. I think everyone has a different process. And I think it's been interesting because I've seen so many people do it a million different ways. And I didn't realize that, you know, you can do it however you want to. You know, some people just want a book for their grandkids. You know, I do a lot of children's stuff and they don't really care. You know, they don't even really want it on Amazon. They just want something to give out at Christmas time. But other people are really driven. They want to be a bestseller. They want to do everything the way it's supposed to be. So it's people are quite so the very spectrum. <laughs> yes. Can you talk a little bit about what you're working on now? Yes, I'm always writing. I've got a couple nonfiction picture books. Monarch butterflies are near and dear to me, and I've I've written different monarch stories about that because the Western monarch that we have here in California is is going to be extinct and it's probably going to be extinct before they could even get it on the list because there's so many animals going down before it, which is so, so very sad. As a kid growing up, I remember going to the coast and seeing the monarchs all over the trees in Pacific Grove. It just, it was amazing. And now um, there used to be millions and millions of them. The latest count, they counted literally 1914 butterflies. I mean, they could count the individual butterflies. <sighs> So I've been trying to do what I, what I can to help the butterflies. And we've been, that was part of the pandemic. We, you know, have been looking closer, you know, you're at your house all the time. So we've been, we've been focused on that type of thing. So I've written a book about milkweed because the butterfly books that you typically see are about the butterflies, which I mean, the butterflies and the caterpillars are so important, but I think people need to realize milkweed is what monarchs need. It's kind of like panda bears, you know, are so specific with what they eat. You know, if you take away what they eat, they, they can't live anymore. So that's one of my books is Mil Milkweed and Monarchs. I've got the one on animal poo that I, that I keep playing around with, weird, funny facts, <laughs> and fashion waste. I, we're very con concerned about things. You know, I've written one about plastics. Fashion waste is something that just my daughter brought up to me. And I thought, fashion waste, you know, what is that? We're, we're good. And it is amazing, you know, when you start looking at it. We're so careful about, you know, what we eat and what we throw away. But when you think of clothing, you know, Americans wear things less than seven times and all the stuff. I thought, well, we donate everything. We're good. But it's just like plastic bottles and recycle, you know, only maybe a tenth of what you put in the recycle ends up being recycled. Clothing is like that, too, when you donate it, even even though a lot of people throw their clothes out, which is even worse. And the fashion industry is the, the second most polluting in the world. You know, we buy and Americans, especially, we buy inexpensive things. We don't very, wear them very often. And we're driving just, you know, the industries in other countries to, you know, back kind of looks like we're going decades back and the advancement, advancements we've made and how people are treated there and the wages they're given because, you know, we have this demand for cheap, you know, clothing that's just dumped after we wear it a couple of times. It's very sad. I definitely so. didn't know that statistic that 
what did you say? 7%? It's a very low percentage. Yeah. I said, um, people wear their clothing less than seven, seven times. times. Like yeah. yeah Which, but the percentage, oh yeah, it's very hard finding current numbers. That's another, that's another one of those research things. I've got books and books of fashion. But the stuff point is that here. they are on the rise and it's yes. bad. And that's, it's a new thing. I mean, because, you know, we used to have the fashion shows, you know, during the seasons and now it's like fashion week. So people are just constantly throwing out, you know, things, getting the next thing. And I mean, I think we see it a lot here in Los Angeles because, you know, by we're in the, we live in Hollywood and it's like, you know, you don't wear things twice. You don't, you know, you don't do this. There's so much waste because people have to look a certain way. And that's, it's just, it's just so upsetting to us because I think it's, we are killing, you know, the world. When you look at what an animal does, I mean, an animal really has such a little impact and we've, you know, we've, we've just been building up so much waste in the world with what we do, you know, the plastics and, and everything else. We volunteer, you know, when we can to help out. But lately with the pandemic, obviously it's been less than that. So we've been turning inward and looking just what we can do, you know, what, what less, what, where can we make a smaller footprint in the world? My goodness. It is very interesting. It's called fast fashion. You know, it's kind of like fast food. That's fast like food, the new fast fashion, fast fashion. Yeah. Which it's amazing. Yeah. And I, I didn't put any of that in the book, but I have it like on my website that I hope that when people are done reading this and laughing that they do think about it because we've done amazing things. I mean, inventions are, you know, life-changing, but I want people to kind of think like, are we, you know, what have, you know, what, what is the impact? You know, it's like, how do we study history if it keeps changing? And are today's underpants better for us? Are they better for the planet? Because we have so many synthetic materials that don't decompose, you know, and end up, even when you wash things, you know, the, the, the stuff that filters off of them, if you're not wearing cotton and with cotton, then you start looking at cotton and it, you know, if it's not organic cotton, it's been sprayed. It's amazing when you start looking into all of that. It sounds like quite the rabbit hole. Yes. Our life has become so complicated. And if you think about everything, you just kind of maybe freeze up or something or get overwhelmed, but yeah, you know, it's hard not to. Yeah. Before we wrap up our time together, I wanted to ask you one final question for you to share with our listeners. What makes you love a book? What stands out to you most? Oh, I, I do love humor. I, I'm drawn to humor. I think it's even on serious subjects. I think it's important to have something funny in there because it's it's easier to take it. Kind of like the taking a little sugar with your medicine. It just yeah. makes. I mean, and it's one of those important things. And heartfelt books really make make a difference to me too. I think I, I really enjoy books that make me feel something. Thank you so much for listening to our chat with Christine Van Zant. A Brief History of Underpants is available online and in bookstores and libraries worldwide. We'd love to see you subscribe to Quarto Kids Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find all available episodes at anchor.fm slash Cast. And hey, if you're enjoying Quarto Kids Cast, we'd be grateful if you left a review so others can hear about it too. Special thanks to Scott Holmes for our theme music, Steve Roth for his promotional vocal stylings, Christine Van Zant for stopping by to talk to us, and of course, you, the listener, for tuning in. Until next time.